0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Today, we will be listening to part two of the conversation Mike and I were having on church culture and leadership. Enjoy. One of the conversations I've been thinking about is, you know, when you think about churches from when you and I grew up to kind of how churches look now, um, it seems like there's a lot of times where people talk a lot about church trends or, Certain church dynamics or certain ministry things that churches have to do in order to be successful, whether it's having a better lighting system, or whether it's having a good camera system, or even if it's just more of instead of having your traditional Lord's table and the wood paneling and all the and, you know, the in a white color, you have to have a darkened room and you have to have like little like. Fluorescent lights, kind of tubes, kind of hanging around to make a pattern that says "Grace" in the background. And then when you have a, and then when you have a message about forgiveness, you change them. It says "Forgiveness" in the background. So you kind of have these set pieces. Um, and I think a lot of times we go to tr- leaders can go to like these seminars, whether they're an Orange or a Right Now Media conference, and learn from these experts in the field or these people who had these big, gigantic churches and say, this is the way you should do ministry. This is what's going to help you, your churches grow and be more successful and whatever. And, and, you know, proclaiming the gospel and getting people to come to your church. Uh, are we missing the mark with focusing too much on church trends or are or is there some value to these church trends we're seeing in our society today?
1: Um, it's funny you should say that, um, or ask that this morning I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was writing and I was reading and I was responding to emails. And this guy, uh, who's one of the baristas there stopped by my table and asked me if there was anything I could, if if there was anything I needed, or he also came up to me and was like, what do you do? And I was like, well, do you have time for that? (laughs) Because I just. You know, I just have my hand in so many different arenas right now, whether it's being serving in local churches or, you know, doing consulting, coaching, uh, working full-time at the university that I work at. But like, it's, um, he, uh, he's married and his wife is the daughter of a pastor in our community who pastors uh, a Baptist church. Now in Trenton, where we live, there are. I believe two Baptist churches, a Presbyterian church, a Mennonite church, a Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, and a Nazarene church. Yeah. And Trenton's not very big. So all these churches are, are you know pretty small in size, you know, maybe around a hundred people in each church. And um he asked me what I thought after telling him that I was a pastor and have worked at different churches he asked me what i thought about this very topic and um it's interesting to sit back and kind of take that in watching you know different churches um grow and go through different life cycles and seasons because i i've seen you know the local church you know runs maybe 50 people maybe 100 if they're lucky on the weekend and they're never going to change and they're going to be the same church that they've been for the last 50 to 75 years. And they're not going to be there in 10 years because all the people have died. The people that have become, you know, the younger generation, if you will, I don't know if you and I are still considered that we're kind of in the middle of all that, (laughs) but like, uh, the people that are in their twenties, early thirties, uh, who are like going to these churches and being quote unquote agents of change. And then they get ran out of these local churches because they're not the norm of what these local churches are used to. They go to bigger churches where they feel like they can fit in and their voice can be heard. And that's why I think churches, you know, are successful in that respect because they've tried, if that makes sense Mm. to go to smaller churches, help, volunteer, serve, and then the same person's doing the same five jobs they've been doing for 40 years and they're not letting anybody help. And so they feel like they're not validated, they're not respected, and then they're like, well, if I can't serve here, I'm going to go somewhere else where I can. And so some churches that go out and plant, you know, they may have the funding of a Southern Baptist church, but they may be called, I don't know, Elevate. Let's call it Elevate Church. And they They're a church plant. They meet in the local YMCA. They have funding from another church and they have the money to get started. And they really take off because they're like, really come as you are, be who you want to be, uh, wear jeans, you know, wear a hat, you know, drink coffee, whatever, whatever it is. Right. Um, and some of those churches explode as a result. There's a church in our area that, uh, we went to a couple of times in between, Sundays where I wasn't serving or consulting somewhere and they have two campuses and they run around a thousand between the two campuses and they're, they've just built a brand new building and they're running two services on Sunday at this campus and they're getting ready to start a third because they're packing it out every week, but it's legitimately like, come as you are, be be who you want to be. They still proclaim the gospel. And I think a lot of it is because if you drive down the street You've got the Presbyterian Church and the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church and the Methodist Church, and they're all smaller churches that are not going to change who they are and their identity.
0: Mm.
1: And wonder why they're not going to be around in a couple of years.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and I think even when you think about, you know, your Presbyterian, your Catholic churches, or at least churches that have a liturgy, mm-hmm. does the them not changing, is that dictated by the local leadership or is that? kind of dictated by the archbishop or kind of the culture of the higher ups that kind of kind of wiggled down. Because, I mean, you can think about and even like when you talk about, you know, the Southern Baptist Church starting a church plant, you call it Elevate. I mean, there's been times where literally I've applied to non-denominational churches and then I'll have these conversations with them. And they say, oh, yeah, by the way, we are we're actually affiliated with the PC USA, the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, or we mm-hmm. are, with the Church of Christ of the Open Door, or we're part of the Southern Baptist Church. And I'm thinking, then why are you calling yourselves non denominational Because <laughs> obviously, I'm not mm-hmm. gonna, because not necessarily I won't fit, but obviously I've kind of already set my stuff out and you're interested, but then you're saying, oh, will you be ordained as a Southern Baptist pastor? And I'm like, um, no, <laughs> like, I mean, I think there's enough the- theological differences that I don't think I would be a good candidate for that. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting when you look at kind of those church trends, and I think they are important, you know. And someone may sneer and go, Well, why do we have, um, why do we have the like the lights and the fog machine, you know, yeah, like something like something dumb like that. But there was, um, I can remember I was, um, looking. We're doing a church, we're doing a church series out of Seacoast called I see a church. And Greg Serrett was talking about um, him growing up in church. And the one thing that really helped him kind of connect to the divine, you know, some of the elements, some of the worship elements that really made him connect would just be sitting in a church and just looking at the stained glass windows and just seeing the beauty and the way the light would shine in and how the colors would go or see the colors. Sp- how they would move on the wall or on the carpet. He said, you know, there are times during service he could look at that stained glass window and it would really touch his spirit. And it kind of helped in a way become a catalyst to move them deeper into worship with God. And as Mm -hmm. an older guy, he goes, well, I don't understand why we have to have all these stage lights. And with each song, there's a different color hue that's playing during the song and the, and like sometimes the smoke and, and the fog and anything like that. And yet, it came to him when he was talking to his son, he said, well, dad, this is kind of our stained glass windows. This is, you know, yeah, it may be silly. It's nothing, but for some people, this could be a catalyst for them to have a deeper experience of worshiping God. So, yeah. I mean, does every church need to have a fog machine and lighting system? Not necessarily, but if you're trying to reach certain people, there's certain people in your church where there's certain elements that can bring them closer to having a worship experience of God, then there is some legitimacy to it.
1: Yeah. It's funny. You should mention that. And I think it's funny that I say, it's funny. You should mention that because every time you ask me a question or bring up a specific topic, um, <laughs> I I have a story for, for every question almost. And um, And <laughs> so I'm going to say it again. It's uh, it's funny. You should say that because um last week or the week before i was leading at a smaller church and there was this elderly man who came up to me after service and scott i think you, i texted you this yeah, last you did sunday text after me this. yeah <laughs> it must have been last sunday yeah so i texted you this there was this older man who came up to me and he was like what's god's name and i'm like is this a trick question like i was just thinking to myself is this is this a trick cuz it's a trap <laughs> it's a trap no um i just i was thinking and so i just immediately responded yahweh lord king of kings lord of lords jesus son of man son of god like all these names for god and he was trying to you know he talked to me a little bit about the passage in exodus 3 where Moses, you know, sees the, the burning bush and asks who it is. And 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 God responds, you know, responds, I am who you say I am. And uh, it was just that revelation. And he went on to say, you know, I don't understand the songs that you sing. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He was like, you know, we talk about the name of God and the name of the Lord, but like none of these songs have the name of the Lord and the songs. And I responded to him. I was like, well, this morning we did. It. Oh, praise the name of the Lord, our God. How great is our God bless the Lord. And, you know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so he was like, yeah, but yeah, but, and, and I say all that to say that he, he came, you know, after, after I kind of countered his point, I said, you know, I just feel like people interpret things differently and that's okay. And then he started saying, well, I don't understand all these large churches. They're like rock concerts and they have these lights and this smoke and, mm-hmm. you know, I just don't get it. And I'm like, well, that's the point. You don't understand it. But like some of the points that you're making, people may not understand either. And he was like, that's a great point. And he just yeah. walked away. Yeah. But like, I think at the end of the day, Scott is, I, I just think that he wanted to be heard.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah. He
1: wanted wanted his voice to be heard in the conversation. And I think um, they get, you know, drawn up into the mix of what, you know, what that looks like. And that's not the first time the same, this, 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 you know, sweet old man has come up to me and said, (laughs) you know, I don't understand what you're doing. I like what you're doing, but I don't understand it. So like, I think, it, 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 all, it all comes back to like, where are you? What are you? You know, what church is it? Is it a church of a thousand? If it's not a church of a thousand, don't act like a church of a thousand. If you're a church of 50, act like a church of 50 and, you know, be proud of who you are and know your identity, which is basically, you know, the first question that we talked about, like vision and culture. Like if we don't identify with one or both of those conversations, then you can't have those little conversations like I did with that, that gentleman that day. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So it it was interesting. You, you said something when you're telling that story about, you know, you think that he just wanted to be heard. And and I feel like that's important when it comes to leadership, that people feel heard Um, whether they feel like whether right or wrong, whether how, ridiculous their um their point of view may be or their opinion may be i think there's some importance of people feeling like they're being heard um and, and it kind of goes back to and there's this there's probably one of my favorite stories in the gospels where jesus i believe don't quote me on this i believe it was kind of jesus and peter and john are up on the mountain and they're having this time i think this is when the transfiguration happened and then, as they're coming back down the mountain, Jesus sees there's a commotion happening. And they go down, and Jesus is asking what's happening. And there's this father who has his boy who's possessed by a demon. And when this demon comes on him, this boy starts having seizures and it throws him in the fire, it throws him into the water. Um, and he comes to the disciples and they ask, the disciples to heal their son, and they couldn't do it. And yet, depending on which gospel, because it's on all three of the synoptic gospels, but I think it's, uh, I want to say it's Mark or Matthew, where Jesus starts asking questions. The first thing Jesus does is he starts asking questions and he starts asking, you know, how long has your son been like this? How long, you know, starts to ask these questions. And then this guy basically makes this comment, goes, oh, well, if you can, if you can, please heal my son. And Jesus says, if I can, I can for all who believe. And the guy says, I believe, help my unbelief. And what I find so fascinating in that story and the idea of being heard is, you know, Jesus could have easily just said, yes, your son's healed. or And that was probably what was happening. I'm sure this guy went, went to bring their son And the disciples started to pray over this boy, started to do whatever to drive the demon out, couldn't do it. And yet Jesus was able to use this moment to heal this guy's son, but also made it a teaching moment about talking to the guy about faith and hearing him first and hearing kind of his cries and his agony of him trying to get his son help and couldn't. And I I see that as when it comes to as church leaders, it's important that we hear the people that we serve no matter how outlandish the claim may be no matter how um how whatever they're saying you may fundamentally disagree with everything that person is saying to you at that moment but i think it's vital that we actually listen to them and not just listen to them but that they feel like they have been heard because you can say listen to someone and they can still feel like they're not being heard not because you're not doing what they said, but there's, like you said, like that guy could say, but yet you were asking the same question, you kind of brought it around, like, well, you know, you may not understand it, but there may be people who don't understand kind of your view of worship on, on you know, making sure that we have to have the names of the Lord in every single song, you know? And I think, I think that's a important aspect to kind of really pull from that story, just the idea of people being heard. Well a lot of times,
1: you know in bigger church, uh, bigger churches or situations, like you know if we're especially if we're you know a church of you know that's having multiple services every Sunday, it's hard to sit and have that convert conversation with with that person in some first service that really wants to sit down and have mm-hmm. that moment with you when you've got to go to the next service and, and preach the next service or lead worship at the next service, or you got to reset your lighting cues and reset your soundboard and reset, you know, you, you name it, you got to do it for the next service and the next group of people that are coming in there. Um, and there's a right way to do that as far as like, Hey, let's, let's get together, have a cup of coffee this week, or let's go have lunch or let's um, you know, I have office hours, come see me. Um, You know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, some of those moments need to have, you know, happen in the moment and that's why they're so special. Yeah. But depending on where you're at, especially in ministry, mm-hmm. you may not always be able to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there was something else in your story too, that made me think about the topic of rebuking because in your story, this guy had the opinion and you kind of, you know, you disagreed with him, but you were able to, and I don't know if, I mean, I guess it depends on how do we define rebuking. I listened
1: I listened to him. Back to the conversation about listening, I listened.
0: Yeah, you listened to him, and then you even kind of countered his point with a point that made him think and made him not only think or make, say, good point, but also in a way maybe try to think differently or correct. And when I think about that idea of rebuking, you know, rebuking when done properly – should always be done humbly, should always do, be done respectfully. But at the same time, when it's done, it helps to kind of lead to change and transformation. It leads to a better understanding of people. And I feel like a lot of times when we see the word rebuking, we see it as, well, I don't like what you're doing. And I think what you're doing is wrong, or it's against the gospel. <laughs> In my opinion, it's against the gospel. So I'm going to rebuke you harshly. And I, and I can remember a story and this is a story from a pastor that had trained me years ago um, where he, he talked a lot about the idea of, Hey, if there's conflict, you know, make sure you do it privately because you don't want to embarrass the person in public, which, yeah, that's good sound advice. And then after I was done with my internship there, there was a, a teen at the church who really had just kind of lived in a broken home, just had a lot of uh, stuff going on. And he put something on Facebook and kind of had some, some kind of like expletives in his thing. And my mentor decided to rebuke that, not in a private message, not talk to him, when he's at church and say, Hey, can I talk to you a little bit? Or not even just say, Hey, talk to this, the youth pastor and say, Hey, I happen to solve this. Can you, you know, I don't know what the situation is. Can you, can you talk to this young man? He decided to respond by commenting on it in front of the entire internet. And when he did that, not only did it lead to this pastor no longer being blocked but everybody who was associated with the church was blocked, and even the youth pastor was upset. It's like, you know, I wish this was done in a different way because now I can't, even when I call him, he's not answering his phone. I can't even talk to him to see what was going on, and it wasn't necessary. And it was more about the expletive than that, the meat of it, which was that there was some there was something some issues going on between him and his stepfather. And it was like, you know, that was a personal issue that and that was just a way of venting. And it just seemed like it got. It almost seemed like the point was the mark was missed because you want to focus on the foul language and, hey, you're you go to church with us and you shouldn't say those type of words and blah, blah, blah. In front of everyone from church on the Internet and then also his school friends and family and everyone else. So. Um, so, yeah, that's something where even within in our digital age sometimes we still have to remember that um you know there is everybody's going through something everyone is going through something and if you're going to rebuke it we still have to do it privately whether it's in a personal space or a digital space and Mm -hmm. i think you have to be able to do that as leaders and use wise and i think the wisdom of leaders is as the culture continues to change because here's the thing um Culture's always going to move forward. Culture doesn't move backwards. And even though as much as I would hear people say, oh, we need to get back to the good old days when this happened, this happened. The thing is, is the culture keeps moving forward that we're not going to have the time. I mean, it's probably going to be, I mean, I know before Sunday evening services were all the rage and you could have lots of people, hundreds of people come out to a Sunday evening service now, most churches don't have a Sunday evening service anymore. I mean, you could probably get to the point where, you know, a weekly Bible study is probably not going to happen because everything's now in individual groups or growth groups with different um, age groups or different styles, whether it's a singles group, in a married group, in a, in a kids group. You know, there's the culture continues to change. And as leaders, it's important to not only to kind of going back to trends, not only church trends, but even cultural trends, and kind of saying, "Hey, if this is the direction that's going, we have to be mindful of it, not condemn it, but we have to be mindful of it because this could be a gateway for us to be able to reach people for the kingdom of God."
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's so much <laughs> it's so good but it's so much i mean it is. we just live in this this world now where everything is 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 zoom meetings or phone calls or facetime or text or
0: you know, yeah i mean because ideally social
1: media yeah i
0: mean because ideally you and me would probably be sitting in a room <laughs> with a micro with microphones and having a podcast we're doing this Because we've lived in two different states, but yeah, we have the opportunity to do it where when I first did podcasting, I always had to make sure I had someone in a room with me if I was interviewing because most of the time it was just me by myself. Um, So, you know, there's, so there's an avenue where I can have difference of opinions or be able to play games with people all over the world where before you'd have to sit in a living room and have a four and have your TV be split in four or have a landline or, You know, or sometimes it was just mostly you played a game and then you told your friends about it because, you know, they couldn't experience it. Now you can stream your gameplay for everyone to see. So, you know, culture is very important. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and like on the the last topic that we really talked about was, did we miss the the mark with focusing on church trends? Mm -hmm. I think if anything, most churches have. And what I mean by that is like, COVID-19 was like an awakening, not like to our listeners to, you know, talk, I'm not talking about like the illness and the sickness that, that all was. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that statement is that how many churches were not ready for something like that, meaning that they're, they had no online presence. They had no social, they had no. Facebook Live. They had no live streaming. They had mm-hmm. no website. They had no nothing. They had no presence online or what we call in marketing a digital footprint um, to reach out to your folks during a time where we didn't know how long the church was going to be closed for physical um, services, mm-hmm. and it it was just it's very eye opening uh, to me walking into some of the churches that I've consulted with over the last year and a half to. You know, some of them are, are streaming with the phone on Facebook Live on Sundays, and that's all they have, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But that's not everything. Yeah. Some of them don't even have Facebook. They don't have a Facebook page. They don't post some on the, Instagram. Some of them
0: don't even have internet.
1: Yeah. Oh, I was at a church uh, last fall, and they had no. <laughs> they had no internet in their church. The person was streaming on their phone to their Facebook page, and it was literally, they were using their data on their phone
0: wow
1: you know they didn't have they didn't have they had no wi-fi they had no internet within the church building yeah. so but all that to say um yeah i think churches have missed the mark on trends such as live streaming and opportunities to expand the kingdom of god virtually um because the last few churches i worked at during the season of COVID before you know there were vaccinations and protocols in place and uh, therapeutics and different Mm -hmm. things to help treat the illness, masking, whatever you did to keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that at the beginning because we didn't know anything about it. Right. And so uh, I remember, you know, in 2020 going into a church and it was me and maybe two other volunteers and we were recording our pastor's message and we were trying to put an entire service together virtually. And then I would go back home and I would just put it all together and, you know, publish it to stream and it was just a crazy time because we were learning everything on the fly i'm not saying that i had it all together or we had it all together but there were churches that were way worse than you know way you know more often we were yeah in the respect of like they weren't even live streaming so you were just going to sit at home and not have church for a year and a half and and not have any sort of like communication with your lay people and then when you (laughs) come back to church you're surprised that there's nobody there like
0: how does that work Well, yeah. And and not only that, but there was also the other thing, too, because even though we can look at church, you know, cultural trends and see, oh, when COVID hit, everybody now started to get if you're a church that didn't have Internet, either you're buying Internet or you're getting an unlimited plan for your phone so you can record your services. You're trying to do everything. If you didn't have an online presence, you had one now. Mm-hmm. On the other side, I think there were some other issues, like some basic issues that kind of fell off the wayside because we we're too focusing on certain current trends. We forgot the basic trends, which was checking in on people. I sat in a meeting, it was Barna Group. They had a free conference on, you know, kind of talking about COVID. This was in, I think this was the beginning of May of 2020. And I'm sitting at this conference and already when when it hit, I I tried to be intentional, making sure I went through the phone book and called every single person um, from the church, checked on them. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? And I made sure I checked on everybody within the congregation and and even challenged my elders, make sure you're calling these people too so that people are checked up upon. And I remember sitting, and I remember sitting in that conference and they talked about and one of the questions was how many people from the church, like church leadership, has called and reached out to you during when everything shut down. So this is like March, April, okay, when everything started to shut down, March and April. And there was a third of them said, a third of them said, yes, someone from the church had reached out to me and talked to me. And then two-thirds of them said, no one. In the two months and such no one from church leadership, the pastor an elder youth pastor, worship pastor, nobody from the church had even called or reached out to someone who was a member of that church and I was just blown i was blown away by that. I was like, how did why are people not checking in on their people
1: yeah uh, <laughs> it's it's a it's a great thought, and um do you know Ben Higgins?
0: Ah, uh, name sounds familiar.
1: Shout out to Ben. Um, Ben's a good friend of mine. He worked with me at town Boulevard church in Middletown. He was a youth pastor there for a couple of years. Um, he was then, then he moved. So he was in, uh, Missouri was the youth pastor there, moved to Middletown to be at town, uh, for two years. And then he got called back to that same church in Missouri as the lead pastor during COVID. He, uh, and I, you know, we've been friends for years, but we would touch base once a week on a zoom call or something like that. And just, I was asking him what his church was doing and Scott, they were doing exactly what you were saying, you know, because they did have some elderly people that would come to their church. And that was the way to connect with him was via the phone. And a lot of uh, not that it's all about money, but you do need giving to happen in order to make the church function because it's a nonprofit organization. I mean, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And so, Ben was telling me that you know because he was making the effort, like they, they printed out a spreadsheet, and when COVID happened, and they they went and they called everybody on their roster that they knew, just like what you were saying, and giving was was solid because people were like mailing it in. They you know they they continued to um, tithe regularly and then give above because they knew that the church may not. Mm-hmm. you know, survive. Cause we, none of us really knew what was going to happen. Right. Oh, yeah. But like, you know, all that to say, um, that was a great example of like, <laughs> he picked up the phone and called people, just like what you said, you picked up the phone and you called your people and you just let them know that you were thinking about them and that you cared about them and that you were praying for them. And that, that meant all the difference in the world to them. And, know as a result they continue to give and financially support the church and knew that they were loved so like it's just the little things in life and ministry that make you know i call them what my um dad used to call them spiritual spiritual bonus points or spiritual brownie points or something (laughs) like that where well like you know you're investing in those people again you're investing in those folks to um to the point of like they know that they're loved and that's what it's all about
0: yeah yeah, and I think it kind of goes back to, and maybe this will be our final question. Who knows? <laughs> I don't want to say this is our final question because we can still be talking more about this. But there's something that I think is vital to having some type of um, methodology, I guess, in some ways, because when we talked about, about leadership in church culture, we talked about how it's so fluid and so vast. And it's very hard to have a quote unquote professional up on a stage telling you, this is how you should do things. This is how you should run your church. And you should do it this way because it's not going to work depending on what state you live, how big your church is, everything else. So I think In order for church leaders to really navigate and to do ministry well within their churches, there has to almost be some type of foundational model or foundational things that they can say, this is who we are, this is what we're all about, and this is how we are going to do ministry. Um, And, you know, as someone who's going to get their doctorate and looking at church leadership and and kind of how that's done and how to do things. It's very fascinating on all these different, the different methodology of how people go, whether it's from a um, more looking at kind of more of a certain theology and looking at things like this or of a biblical thing or basing it off on a certain passage of scripture, even if it's just like a model, like a Branson Martinez model where there's like, a Venn diagram of three things where you have missional congregational and spiritual and kind of within those three spheres is how you do ministry and how that drives you on how you not only change a culture, but how you lead people. Um, And, and again, kind of keep you on point and keep you on task on how to do things well within ministry. So, I mean, is there value to having some sort of foundational model that um, a church leader or even church leadership should go by to kind of help guide them into things? Which, you know, we could say that's vision, but at the same time, I think sometimes vision is more of a thing for everybody in the church, where I think a model is more for just leadership on how they conduct themselves and the output of the of what's being inputted into that model or that system does that make sense or am i confusing you
1: (laughs) no 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 i (laughs) you know i was looking through some notes that i have here and i was just thinking you know if it were up to me which i'm not a lead pastor anywhere at the moment um not really my calling but like i'm just saying if it were up to me simple is best like I'm a big proponent of simple is best in all aspects of my life, whether it's work, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a secular job or in a ministry environment or, you know, in my relationships, like don't overcomplicate things. And I think, Scott, if I went out on a limb here, I think that a lot of megachurches or larger churches do things simply and they do things with simplicity, meaning that they, they know who they are. They know what their mission statement is. They know what their brand is marketing, the colors, the branding, the fonts, everything. You know, when you walk into a crossroads church, you know, it's crossroads church. You know, if you walk into elevation church, you know, it's elevation church. Um, but if you're the local church of, you know, 50 to 75 people, and you've got 13 boards and 13 committees and, uh, 14 different projects going on all at the same time and this person has eight of them and this person has six of them and you got to talk to this person, this person and this person and this person and this person to get that answer i think that it ever complicates things so all that said first first of all simplicity is best and in, in, in my opinion to make the model that you're talking about work um, you can always build on that stuff but you know, it's hard to take that stuff away if you keep adding, if that makes sense. Um, I was at a worship ministry conference uh, a couple of years ago, and Paul Balash was the, the main speaker at that conference. And he uh, was talking about how to create, you know, culture of excellence in worship and talking about how to start a team, uh, a worship team and, and kind of add to it. And, and how do you how to how to create a successful worship team was the the session that we were sitting in. And he's like, it's like a pizza pie. You start with your crust, it's your foundation, and you add your sauce and you add your cheese and you add your toppings. He said, but once it's in the oven, it's baked, right? It's 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 pretty much solidified. So his big point in that was it's easier to add than it is to undo. Meaning that like, you know, the simplicity of it is, you know, we can give people, you know, what's the old expression, Scott, give you an inch, take a mile, yeah. I give you an inch, mm-hmm. you're gonna take a mile. It's easier to not give stuff to people who are going to get carried away with it when there's kind of that foundation build and that expectation um, or foundation lane for the ministry of like what your, what your church is trying to accomplish. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, yeah, I think it's it's very imperative that we keep things simple and people really know and understand, again, the culture, the vision, the identity, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that's why a lot of larger churches and ministries are more successful, because they don't make things overly complicated.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And and I think, and I think that's, and I, not only that, but I also think from a, just a mindset, like a cult, like a mindset, you know, bigger churches, they, again, like you said, they know who they are, they know what they're about. So when they do ministry, it's very simple. They don't have to try to do ministry and try to prove who they are. Right. They're not, they don't have to do that. They're just doing straight up foundational ministry. Um, And where, when you think about your smaller churches, you know, they, whatever the case may be, whether it's an identity crisis, you know, they, they seem to kind of, they want to do stuff, but then they also kind of trip over their own feet as well. You know, and I think that's kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning or from the quote that used that Roger said to you is, you know, love people and, and take your time. Mm -hmm. And I think with a larger church, they can be very simplistic and take their time because they know that the output's going to be greater. I think when you get to your smaller church, the misconception or the illusion is we have to do everything very quickly and we have to do something now because if we don't and we keep, if we take our time or if we kind of go slow at it, we're not going to have any more resources to do ministry. We're not going to have resources to keep our lights on.
1: Well, it's and, balance too. We talked about is. balance in the worship ministry podcast, but oh, like, yeah. I think there's, there's a fine line in creating that culture. And then like, you can only wait so long for your lay people to get on board with that. Because if you don't, you know, like your to your point, I'm just piggybacking mm-hmm. off of your point. Like if if people don't get on board with the mission and vision of the church, there won't be a church because what what did that proverb say that I just quoted in the beginning of our our time together was that without a vision the church will perish, and that yeah. means in every aspect of the church. Like if you don't have the money to pay the you know the mortgage or, or turn the lights on or anything like that, like there won't be a church.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's and I think that's kind of when as we kind of come to a close, just I think some key points is you know make sure. You know, when it comes about what's more important, what's vital to the transformation of the church, vision or culture, well, it's both. You know, you have to have, you know, you have to have a a culture, a good culture in order for vision to really thrive. Um, and I think, but you have to have a vision. You can't just say I have a good culture, but no vision because it's not going to work that way, you know, and take your time. You know, it's it's not a, it's it's a marathon. You know, when Paul's talking about running a race, he's not saying, hey, let's sprint for the glory of God. I mean, I think it, you have to take your time sometimes. And even when I think about Paul in the ministry and just trying to the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, it may have started with Jesus and the disciples. But then we see Paul kind of in that way, passing the baton to Timothy And Timothy passing the baton to whoever he's encouraging in ministry. And that's one thing when I was talking to a buddy of mine who was a Catholic, we were, um, it was a theology on tap thing we were doing. And one of the things he said, I forget what the topic was. I think it was just about community and church community. And he said, you know, the kind of the Catholic view of when someone's a priest is that when someone goes into the priesthood, the cardinal or whoever goes and they pray over them but when that cardinal prays over you there's the the it's almost like the succession of prayer of the laying in hands and prayers goes all the way back to you know peter praying over people and so there's like this kind of this whatever you want to call it like a mythology or a methodology where you know when you are prayed it's not just this archbishop praying for you but it is peter himself all the way from the beginning of time, praying over people, and those prayers just continue to trickle down to empower people in ministry. So you know, take your time, and you know, if you feel like that you're out a place, and you feel like even though you have the best vision, but you can't change the culture and the people or the leadership just can't get behind you, then either, and I, this is on that chance that either you have to change the vision, or You might have to change the car, uh, you know, versus Chan's car analogy or Chun's car analogy. And I think, you know, I think there's wisdom. I think the other thing when it talks about leadership in church culture is if you do get to that point where you feel like, you know, vision's not going forward. My team, it seems like even if my team are on board, it seems like the congregation's fighting against the vision and whatnot. There's no shame in saying well, I'm going to go ahead and just bow out. Mm-hmm. And I think I think as church leaders, I think there's some people who feel like, well, if I leave, then I'm not only my disappointing people, but I may be disappointing God. And I don't necessarily think that is. I may used to think of that a long time ago. I don't think it now because at the same time, if you have a certain skill set, if you have talents, if you God's calling you to lead a church to do great kingdom work and somehow, wherever you're at you just can't get off the ground and you feel like even if you modify and change the vision a little bit so that people can understand and get behind it so that you can grow so you can grow forward um if that doesn't happen then it's there's no shame in saying okay I'm going to have to bow out and hopefully the next assignment or the next church I'm at maybe that group can get behind this vision that I feel God has given me to do ministry
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's a uh... It's funny that my wife and I were having this conversation the other day. See what I did there? It's funny. It's funny. You it's mention funny. That. Um My wife and I were having this conversation the other day and, you know, just talking about ministry and life and transitions in ministry. And we were sitting in the kitchen and we're just like, you know, how do you feel about the last year and a half, two years of our lives going through, you know, two different ministries and mm. this transitions and stuff. And, you know, she, you know mentioned I don't know, like if we wouldn't have been if we if we didn't go through the transitions that we went through, we wouldn't be where we are today, and we wouldn't be stronger because of it exactly and mm-hmm. um I said to her, I think it's interesting or funny or whatever adjective you want to put after that that like churches will hire you based on your skill set, but then when you get there, they won't let you use that skill set
0: oh yeah Mm -hmm. and
1: i think it's just it's a fascinating phenomenon like they think that you're the guy or the gal and you have all the you have the resume that's a mile long but then when you go in to try to use those skills and use quote-unquote your resume um they fight against it it's like then why did you hire me and why did you bring me on board oh yeah Um, and that Mm -hmm. was kind of the, the the feeling that i got going to uh you know a larger church and a larger ministry it was like well you hired me for a reason why can't i do you know xyz yeah so my wife all that to say my wife and i were just having that conversation and it was just interesting to 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 kind of reflect on the fact that we you know quote unquote bowed out gracefully like you you know have said a couple of times during our time together Mm -hmm. but um just know it's okay, and you're not alone, and you're not the only one going through that as, as a pastor.
0: Yeah, and and I would even say, because you talk about pastoral care, and I think, you know. it's So important. It is important, and I don't think, that, and, and, and I know we talked about burnout and everything um, before, but I want to make it clear, you know, you don't have to wait till you burn out or to you to leave a ministry to go and get that pastoral care. Pastoral mm. care should always be a lifelong thing. Um, something even as an act, even when I was in the theater and doing acting, I remember uh, my professor would say, "You know, every good actor, every good actor has a therapist." <laughs> Which you know, I think is, and I think even, I think even every great pastor should have some type of, not only a counselor or a therapist, but I think even the idea of
1: a mentor, or a mentor, a mentor.
0: Um, even even when being here in in being here in Augusta County, we had a ministers' meeting. We would meet every month, and it would just be me and a bunch of ministers, and we talk about, you know, some of the challenges in ministry and have a, like a devotional thought and a time to pray for each other. Even I meet with a minister, a like one minister, and we and him will get together and we'll just talk about ministry and check up on each other and do things. And I think, you know, that's so vital, and especially for. Um, and especially for those pastors who may, who maybe happen to listen to this and you're like, well, I'm at a little tiny town in, you know, Trenton, Ohio, and I don't know anybody because I'm like the only pastor in this little tiny town, especially within my denomination, then find pastors outside your denomination. We also mm-hmm. live in a techno technological digital age. We have zoom, we have Skype. I mean, Skype's been around forever. I mean, we have all these methods that we can talk to people, uh, even the phone, you know, we still have this thing called the phone. You can call someone and just talk and be able to make sure you're getting that care. Um, and not necessarily get the care to because you are stressed out or you had a bad board meeting. So you're calling everyone and you just want to vent, but make sure it's something that's continual so that maybe you aren't a thing where you're doing well in ministry and, you know, talk to your other pastor and celebrate. There could be times where you you may be the one who is going through a dark season of ministry, and now you're having a great season of ministry, a fruitful season of ministry, and your other partner is on the opposite side of that mountain in the valley. So, you know, always keep those connections, always continue to surround yourselves um, with great mentors to be able to feed into you and to encourage and build you up. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my final. My final thoughts on church culture, church leadership, and everything else. <laughs> Any final thoughts from you, Micah?
1: Um, two people that really come to mind when you talk about pastoral care, um, and I can't advocate enough for that. Um, well, actually, three. So, um, when I was in seminary, Doctor Guy Brewer, who's um, he's retired now, but he was my professor of pastoral care. He actually taught ethics. And he taught pastoral care, and he taught several classes on on that and just taking care of yourself in ministry. And he was one of those guys who I really learned what it was to take care of yourself and really invest in yourself and the person next to you and really care for them. And what I mean by that is that he, you know, you'd walk by his office and and the seminary and he'd be like, hey, Scott, how's it going? Mm Mm-hmm. Like he would see you walking down the hallway, Scott, how you, how's it doing? And you'd be like, great, Dr. Brewer, how are you? And he'd be like, Scott, sit down. Have him, he would pull you in his office, have you sit down and tell you how, we re, you, know, how you were really doing. And he really took the time to invest in, in his students and the people, not because they were students, but because they were pastors and leaders of local churches and, and knew what it took to be a pastor and leaders of local churches. And he really wanted to make sure that they were okay. And that was like the definition of pastoral care. Um, Another name that comes to mind is, is David Reams. I don't know if you know who, who, who David Reams is, but David Reams was, uh, he was an interim pastor at town Boulevard church for a little bit. He was the senior pastor at Eaton church of God in Eaton, Ohio, where our friend uh, Jordan Mm -hmm. uh, Halstead's dad was at for a time. Um, He was a missionary in Japan but he was, he's one of those people that were these, were the same way. And, um, you know, I've never met a man who can read a room like David Reams, And what I mean by that is that he would just, he could just go in and read the room and just have the discernment that like, you know, things are great here or things aren't really good here. And, you know, this person needs love and this person needs to be, you know, held accountable. And it, it, he was just very, very good at reading a room. And he would always take the time to call me or send me a birthday card or, send me a book that he thinks that I should read on ministry and and, and pastoral care. And then finally um, another mutual friend that we have is, is uh, pastor Bob niece. Who's in Virginia with you. Yeah. Um, my mom passed away in July of last year. Um, and Bob's a really close friend of my dad's and my dad's been pastoring for 40 years. And my mom and dad were married for 40 years. And so when my mom died, he was actually with Bob and Bob has walked my dad through a lot and I think he, too, exemplifies what it means to, to really invest in your neighbor or love your brother, um, just really touting pastoral care and what that means. and you know, even if he doesn't agree with you, he's still going to love you. and that's what Jesus did. So you know, we can get into this whole passage of love your neighbor as yourself," but mm-hmm. you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it just it, what did Jesus do? Like he loved, you know, loved people. And that's, I think what we're called to do as pastors, but at the same time, I think it's important that we, you know, invest in pastoral care and and take care of ourselves because if we're not in good health and good shape, then how are we going to manage the people around us that are dealing with crises that are way worse than what we're going through?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good, good stuff. Well, Micah, again, thank you so much. It's always been a pleasure to be on the uh, Scott Simon podcast. Maybe we'll have to call it the Scott and Micah podcast if you keep getting any <laughs> more episodes on here with me. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm, I'm game. Let's, let's just let go. We could go. I'm good for any. That'll any be my recording. third
0: rebranding from theology and backgammon to the Scott <laughs> Simon podcast, the Scott and Micah show. <laughs>
1: Well, it's funny, Scott, it's been very fruitful over the last year because, you know, you and myself and Jordan are, you know, really close friends. And
0: yeah,
1: one of the things that I've always wanted to do is podcasting. Yeah. And in, in the last year I've been able to be on two different ones and I'm I'm super grateful. I'm like on a regular rotation on the Nerd Talk pod- podcast with, uh, with Jordan Halstead. And then now I've been on several with you and it's just fun. It's fun to talk about life and ministry and mm-hmm. things that we get geeked out about, you know, video yeah. games. And, and
0: then the other, other people get to listen and kind of participate in that as well which mm-hmm. is great right. awesome well again thank you so much for uh, joining us Micah and again guys thank you so much for listening I hope this uh, conversation on church culture and leadership has been very helpful I know there's a lot more gambits I know uh before we try to get someone else to join us and he couldn't do it he had to go so shout out to Steve Roby for not making it because I know you're very passionate about this topic so I'm sure uh, he'll listen to this and he'll say hey you guys we need to talk about this, or maybe he wants a voice. I want people. Steve Roby on an
1: episode with us.
0: We, we, we will try to get him on the show when he's not, you know, on base or doing something else. The dude
1: is a machine. Like he's, I was trying to, he just recently got his doctorate, but he's also a chaplain in the army. He's a pastor. He, you know, I was like, usually when you get your doctorate, like the title, official title is Reverend Doctor. He's also a captain in the military. So I'm like, what is this? I asked Alicia, my wife yesterday, when we were talking about Steve, I was like, what is it? Captain, Reverend, doctor, pastor, <laughs> Stephen Robey. Is it captain, captain, chaplain, Reverend, doctor? Is it pastor, Reverend, doctor? I don't know. I'm sure on his
0: resume, he's going to have like a bunch of uh, suffixes and prefixes <laughs> before his name. It's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> All shout right. out to steve ruby yep all right guys thank you so much for listening again if you like this uh, podcast you can support me you can go to the coffee Ko-fi account uh, ko-fi.com slash the scott simon podcast there's some incentives there you can just do a one-time donation anything will help keep this podcast running and upgrade any of the equipment and software for us to be able to continue to have uh, great conversations that you enjoy everybody hope you have a great weekend and we'll be back on with another episode soon talk to you later bye